If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is in the Old Testament. If you have not turned to it or been there lately, it's easiest to find by going to the book of Psalms, which is the largest book in the Old Testament and the easiest one. Usually your Bible will open right to Psalms and then go back a couple of chapters or a couple of pages and you'll pass Job and you'll pass Esther and then you'll come to Nehemiah. And I want to read to you from Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah is probably one of the last books that we have written in the Old Testament. It was written closest to the closing of the Old Testament, a time period that we call the intertestamental period where Jewish history and the Jewish nation was at a time of turmoil before they were enslaved again by the Roman Empire that brings us to the time of Christ. And so it is, you know, the Old Testament's not written chronologically. It doesn't follow timelines. And so Nehemiah, while it's in the earlier part of the Old Testament, it really would fit timeline next to Micah, next to uh, Zechariah, those kind of books. Read it to you and then you'll understand later as to the context. I'm going to read chapter 2 verse 17. This is Nehemiah talking. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what King had said to me. And they replied, the people of Jerusalem, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But then Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard about this. And they mocked and they ridiculed us. What is it that you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? And I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We are his servants and will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. For those of you that have not been with us, we are in the middle, the 11th series, the 11th part of a series that I'm calling This Is Us. And the purpose of doing this series and walking through this series has been for us to examine what we believe, why we believe it as a church and as individual Christians. Uh, we've looked at our history. We've looked at our heritage, where we came from, where, what shaped us, what made us and molded us into who we are today. Because I believe that as we begin to look to the future, as we begin to plan for the future, where we've come from and who we are will help define that, will help become guardrails for us as we plan for the future. And so we've been walking through this series and recently, Recently, the last couple of weeks before Mother's Day, I was talking about visions and dreams, and we talked about turning can'ts into cans. And while that sounds like a simple phrase, many of us struggle in between that area of hearing that we can't and turning it into we can. Many of us have forgotten that God will always provide a means for us to accomplish any dream, any vision that He gives to us. If God has planted a dream in your heart, if God has given you a vision, if God gives a church a vision, He will always provide the way for us to accomplish that vision. He will always provide the way for you to accomplish that vision. We learned that Matthew tells us that through God, all things are possible. Paul wrote the Philippian church and reminded them that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But many of us forget that as a promise, that it, with Christ in us and the power of the Holy Spirit in us, whatever God calls us to do, we can accomplish through Him. 
So many of us in the church and so many Christians live in the camps. We, we receive the people that told us, you'll never do this. You can't do this. You're not good enough. You're not fast enough. You're not smart enough. Somebody spoke a can't into your life and you've allowed that to hold you back in your Christian walk. And God's calling us to, to move to a place where we embrace who He says we are and what He says we can do. You need to remember that how is never an issue for God. God doesn't have a problem figuring out how we can turn can'ts into cans. God doesn't have a problem figuring out how we can get from there to here or from here to there. The problem arises because, first of all, we don't catch His vision we don't listen and look to see what He's calling us to. And second of all, it occurs when we struggle with being obedient to the place that He's calling us in. So many believers we learned a couple of weeks ago are, are complaining to God, God, you've never given me a vision. You've never given me a dream. You've never guided me. When in reality, God has been guiding and speaking into you all along. You're just not listening with spiritual ears. And then you're making excuses instead of obeying. Most big, huge dreams that God gives for us starts with small steps of obedience. We learned that a couple of weeks ago for the church and for us as individuals. And as we step out in faith, that first step, trust that this is the way God's leading us, leaning not on our own understanding, trusting God, then all of a sudden those steps become easier and our path becomes more solid. We're talking about embracing dreams, and you need to understand that if you are a follower of Christ, if you are a Christian, God has a vision, a dream for you. Just like He has visions for the church, just like He has dreams for us as a community of faith, Every individual Christian, God plants a dream in you. Paul told the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What Paul was saying is before you were ever born, before you ever thought of having a dream, God had a plan for you. God had a purpose for you. God had a desire and a dream for you. Well, then how do we figure out what that dream is? How do we figure out what that purpose is? How do we figure out what He's calling us to do? It's through dreams and visions that God plants His dream in our heart. And each one of us has the opportunity and the experience to trust Him to follow those dreams. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, I shared with you that Many times when pastors talk about God-given dreams, and I was guilty of it as well, when they talk about having a vision for us as individuals, we think that anything that God tells us to do has to fit into that ministerial category. When we think about visions and dreams, and the pastor says, God's giving you a dream, we automatically think, well, that means that God's calling me to serve overseas, or calling me to do this, or calling me to do that. But 95% of the God-given dreams have nothing to do with what we would consider ministerial, but yet revolve around where He is leading you in your life. He gives you dreams for your job, for your careers, for your family, for your children, for even your retirement age. You see, God gives you those dreams. And while they may not seem ministerial or church, they all revolve around the same mission that every one of us has as Christians. Our mission as a Christian is to exalt the King, to give God glory in everything that we do and extend His kingdom. 
share the gospel with other people. And a God-given dream, even if it's for your business or your work or your family, will always revolve around one of those two things. It'll give glory to God, and it'll also extend His kingdom. It'll share with other people around you His love, His grace, His mercy. And so God's given you a dream, a vision. The question this morning is, what is it? What is He calling you to? That's why Paul says to the church at Ephesus, in everything that you do, whether you eat, drink, play, sleep, in everything you do, give glory to God. Because our responsibility to following those dreams is to make sure that in all of it, we give glory to God. Now, the way you can tell the difference we learn between your dreams and God-given dreams is God's dreams always will entail him stepping in to make sure that you can fulfill it. Because, you see, if you can do it in your own power, if you can do it in your own strength, it's not a God-given dream. When God gives you a dream, there will always come to a place where you are going to have to step out on faith and trust that God is going to step in. And that's true in every area of your life, as God leads you and as God guides you. And the same is true for churches and faith communities. You need to understand, and if you don't hear anything else, hear this, because I think some of you, this may set you free from what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. It is that vision, that dream that God gives you that brings significance to what otherwise might seem like menial task in our lives. It is God's vision that brings purpose to all of the things that we do. It allows us to focus not necessarily on what we were doing, but why we do it. Let me give you an example. If I asked this morning for volunteers to come to the church and spend all day at the church filling bags of dirt, I doubt I'd get many responses. It's a beautiful day. I want everybody to come out and fill bags of dirt. But if I told you the reason we were filling bags of dirt is because the church is in danger of being flooded and we needed to fill dirt to put sandbags around to build a dike to keep water from coming to the sanctuary, many more of you would respond. What makes the difference? What changed between just filling bags of dirt and, and filling bags of dirt to save the church? It was the purpose, the reasoning behind it. There's a big difference in just filling bags of dirt. It seems meaningless. But when you add protecting your home or protecting the church, all of a sudden there becomes a purpose because vision brings purpose. And the same is true in our everyday lives. Same is true in everything that we do. Too many times in your life and in my life, the routines that we go through, the everyday things that we do, begin to feel like filling bags of dirt. Some of you this morning, you feel like you're just treading water. You're not getting anywhere. It's like filling bags of dirt. But take those same routines, those same responsibilities, and add a purpose to them, and your passion about it will change. Your heart for it will change. Why? Because all of a sudden you begin to realize that those things that once seemed meaningless have a purpose. Vision brings purpose. Vision is what builds faith. Vision is what guides us. Vision is what leads us. Even when we don't feel like it, even when we don't understand where we're going, vision keeps us on track. In June of 2007, I came to this church to be the pastor. Matter of fact, in June, I came in view of a call almost 11 years ago. And when I came in view of a call, God gave me a vision for this church. God gave me a dream for this community of faith. 
And to make sure that there was no confusion and to make sure that everyone understood what I believe God was calling this church to on the very first Sunday I ever stood behind this pulpit. When I came on the Sunday for the church to vote on me, I shared that vision with the church. You can go back and listen to it. Shared it as clearly and as plainly as I'm speaking now. I looked at Matthew 21 and Jesus in the temple and the money changers and overturning the tables. And I laid out some principles that I believe God was leading this church to. And the first one I said was for us to ever be who God's calling us to be, we had to get beyond religious traditions. We had to realize that what God is calling us to is a faith based on relationship with Him, not just doing church, not just being religious. That's why Jesus was there in the temple in the first place. That's why He overturned the tables. And that for us as a church, if we were ever going to be the type of community that this community needs, we were going to have to move past that and build a church based on love and unity. I looked at three things that I felt like God was leading us to, that for us to be the church God is calling us to, we first of all had to be a place where God's presence was felt. Not just talking about God, experiencing God. A place where when we came together, two or more gathered, you experienced something that you couldn't explain because the manifested presence of God was there. Not to be dissatisfied with just coming and singing songs and hearing preaching, but seeking the presence of God because always when the presence of God is there, worship breaks out. That's what happened in the story in in Matthew 21. Jesus shows up and the little boys that didn't even have it planned start singing. Hosanna, praise to Him. Hosanna, praise to Him. Because when Jesus' presence there, you don't have to work up worship. You don't have to pretend to worship. Worship just breaks out in spirit and truth. And it's not a worship based on me, and it's not a worship based on my preferences or what I'd like. It's a worship based on Him and what He wants and what He deserves. I said we need to be a place of God's presence. And I said we need to be a place of God's power. Because anytime God's presence is real, God's power is there. In the story of the temple, Jesus begins to heal people all around him. And I believe that when we begin to worship and when we begin to experience his presence, there is a power that shows up. And that's what the world needs to see. A power to heal lives, a power to heal marriages, a power to save people from from hell and from from a, a life of no purpose. And I said we needed to focus on allowing God's power to run free in this place. I talked about community. We need to be a a place that's built on unity and love, a place where people can find home, no matter where they are, no matter the color of their skin, no matter their gender, no matter their background or their history, that they could come to a place where they could experience His presence and His power in community. And then I said, lastly, we need to be a place of prayer because that's what Jesus said originally. turned over the tables and said, my house is not a den of thieves, but a place of prayer. And I preached that Sunday, June 2007, that if we were going to be who God called us to be, then everything that we did, everything that we do needed to be bathed and led and guided in prayer. Three simple points for Baptists, right? Three points that all begin with P's. Presence, power, prayer. I didn't add a poem to it, so it wasn't official. But it's easy to remember. And then I closed that morning with a warning. Using that story, I said, what's going to happen, though, is if we become that type of church, 
If we become a church where God's presence is felt and His power is released and prayer covers everything, then there's going to be some people that are going to get angry and there's going to be people that are going to walk away. Because that's what the Pharisees did. And amazingly enough, you voted for me anyway. Some of you did. I'm not going to name names. I laid it out systematically. And then by about the Christmas of 2012... Probably October, November of 2012, I began to get discouraged and frustrated. Now, if you looked at our church from the outside, it had all the metrics of a healthy and growing church. We had doubled in size. We had two services. We had an early service that was more contemporary. It met down in the fellowship hall. It outgrown the fellowship hall. We had to move it in here. People were joining the church. We had to extend the nursery. New families, people getting saved financially. We were doing better than we'd ever done before. I was in my fifth year as being pastor here, and, and they tell you at seminary that the fifth, the seventh year is kind of like the gravy years where everything gets calm and everything goes great and everything is smooth and it's all, all that stuff on the outside looked great. But on the inside, I felt had not come any closer to the church that God had given me a vision for than we were when I arrived. And I felt like a failure. See, even though everything looked on the outside great, On the inside, there were problems. On the inside, there was a power struggle that had been going on long before I got here that continued to fester. There was an undercurrent of backbiting and disunity and really just a mean religious spirit. People were trying to undermine me. People were trying to discredit me. And, And anyone that supported me, they were getting the same treatment. Now... For most of the people in the church, you would have never known because I did everything I could to keep it buried so that it wouldn't interfere with what God was doing in the church. I kept it on the low. I didn't push it. I didn't emphasize it because I didn't want it to interfere with people's lives being changed. But it festered, and I grew discouraged, and I felt like a failure. So in November of 2012, I went to a local pastor that had been a mentor to me, that had encouraged me in times past. He knew the history of this church. He knew what was going on. He knew the environment that had been a part of this church. And and so I went to him and I poured out my heart and, and I sat there and I shared with him my vision that I believed with all my heart that God was calling this church to. And he listened intently. And then clearly and calmly looked me in the eye and said, Rusty, to be honest, I don't think there is any possible way you can ever get to there from here. I don't think you can ever get to where God is calling you from where you are. And then he added, without a divine, supernatural intervention from God, from here to there. Most of you recognize that. You've been there. That term, that place, that place between what is and what could be. That place between where you are and where you really want to be. And, and you recognize that we live within that tension. We struggle in that place of trying to say, God, I, I'm not satisfied. I want more. God, I want to be there. But we just don't know how to get there. And sometimes it seems like it's impossible to get there. From here to there. Sometimes it seems like there's mountains in the way. Rivers in the way. And every person that has ever been given a God-given vision wrestles with it. Some of you this morning, that's where you are. You're looking at me and saying, Pastor, I, don't, I know what God wants me to do. I know where God is calling me, but I just don't see. There's just no way to get there. 
And the difference between a vision and a dream, and this is what hurts people with a vision, is people with a vision are not just satisfied with what could be, because they don't see it as what could be, they see it as what must be. See, if I didn't have a vision, I could, I could understand being excited and praying about where I thought we, we could be. But see, I didn't see it that way. I saw it as the only hope for this church is that is where we must be. And to get from here to there is never easy. Think about Moses. Moses was living in Pharaoh's house. We don't know either his uncle or his mother was the Pharaoh. And God came and gave him a vision. He found out he was a Hebrew and God said, I'm going to use you to set my people free. And after he got that vision here, he went to Midian to the desert for 40 years and kept up with sheep before ever God came back to get him there. Think about Joseph. We, we did a whole study on Joseph. 16 or 17 years old and God speaks into his heart. You will one day rule and, and you will save your family and your brothers will one day bow down to you. I don't think Joseph ever imagined that to get from here to there, it would entail being left in a, a well by his brothers being sold into slavery, and then spending seven years in a dungeon. Think about David. He's out tending sheep, playing the harp, singing songs, right? And this old prophet comes and says, you are the one who is going to be the next king of Israel. And he anoints his head. And for the next 18 years, David lived in caves and ran for his life to get from here to there. Think about Peter. Jesus looks at Peter and says, you... You are going to help me found the church. You are going to help me establish what is going to change this world. But Peter probably never imagined in that moment that getting from here to there would include him denying his best friend and his Savior three times and then watching that same best friend and Savior get brutally murdered in front of his eyes. See, from here to there is never easy. Now back to me spiritually... I knew what the pastor was telling me was right. But emotionally, it didn't help me a bit. Emotionally, it didn't make me feel any better. And so I came back to the church and did what most of us do when we are facing mountains or when we are facing impossibilities or when we are facing roadblocks. I came back and I sat at my desk and I got on the phone and I called all of my friends that are pastors in Texas and Florida and Tennessee. And I said, find me another church. I said, you've got to get me out of here. So I'm not proud of it, but my first instinct was to run, give up quit. And if we're honest, for many of us, that's the first instinct whenever we believe we are doing what God is calling us to do and we are going to the place God is calling us to go and and we pursue it and all of a sudden we hit a mountain or something happens and instantly we want to quit. Instantly we want to run away. Now I know the Sunday school answer is I should have prayed or I should have sought God, but that's not the reality for many of us. Most of us have to go first to a place where we're scared and we want to run away. And I knew that running away from a God-given vision, running away from a Spirit-led dream, never voids that dream. Never voids that vision. It never voids or, or eliminates our responsibility to be a part of that vision. All it does by running away is cause you to be dissatisfied, unhappy, and unfulfilled. And some of you could say amen to that who have run away and been in that place. I remember a pastor friend that wasn't a pastor yet but we were on a mission trip he was one of the parents of my youth and we were in South America and he began to share one night with me that when he was in college 25 years earlier he felt a call to missions that God had clearly 
put in his heart a vision to go overseas and share the gospel. But he decided he had a career to fulfill, a family to raise. And he shared with me as we sat on the banks of the Amazon River, and he, tears in his eyes, he said, For 25 years, Rusty, I have been unhappy. I made money, I've got a nice house, my kids are doing great, but I am not doing what God called me to do. I ran, and that vision never stopped. Every time they talked about missionaries at church, my heart just broke open. Every time that they shared what God was doing overseas or a missionary came, he said, it just broke my heart because I knew I wasn't where I was supposed to be because God's call on my life didn't go away when I ran. Paul says in Romans chapter 11, verse 29, God's gifts and His call are irrevocable. They don't go away. He said, what do I do? I said, get back on track. So he came back to Chattanooga and he began to take seminary classes one night a week to get some theological training. Eventually, after a year and a half of that, he moved his family, entire family, quit his job to seminary to finish theological training. And he formally surrendered to ministry. And at the age of 52, he and his wife and his kids were commissioned as foreign missionaries. In 10 years now, he's been in Eastern Europe. Every once in a while, I get an email from him, and he'll talk about all the struggles and talk about how hard it is, and talk, but he'll always end with, I'm exactly where I need to be. See, running from God doesn't change anything when it comes to the vision. And so I knew that running was not an option, but it sure made me feel good for a week or two. Then I turned to prayer. I turned to God. I humbled myself. I said, God, I don't know. I don't know how we're ever going to get from here to there. And the Holy Spirit took me to the book of Nehemiah. Mostly to Nehemiah's prayers. And if you're looking for a prayer, if you're stuck between here and there and looking for a prayer, Nehemiah's prayer at the end of chapter 1 is probably one of the most beautiful prayers to pray in that place. Because it's Nehemiah saying, you've given me a vision and you've given me a passion. I just don't know how to get there, but I'm going to trust you. And so as I began to read through Nehemiah, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit came back in and said, I not only want this for you, I want you to preach this to the church. And I felt like that was a horrible idea. I'm just being honest. Because, you see, Nehemiah is about rebuilding and overcoming opposition, both inside and outside. Nehemiah is about restoring God's vision and God's faith. It's, it's about the power of unity. And honestly, I did not think that was what our church needed to hear because I didn't think we'd receive it. I didn't think anybody would care or anybody would listen. I felt like it would be a waste of time. But obediently, on the second Sunday of January 2013, I started a new series that I called... Repair, rebuild, and restore. And for six months, we walked through the book of Nehemiah. Six months. And the incredible thing about it is, is as I was teaching it and as we were learning about it, there was unbelievable revelation that God showed me and people in our church about what was going on in our church and what needed to change. And unintentionally on my part, it seemed like every week there was some kind of prophetic word about what was happening behind the scenes in this church. And I truly believe that Nehemiah in that six months laid the groundwork to prepare our hearts for God's supernatural intervention. I finished preaching that series in June 2013. I took a two-week vacation. And from the moment I arrived back at our church for the next year and a half, we went through a time of turmoil. It included a church split, included... The power structure that was being dismantled, it included new leadership. It included a lot of things. People ask, what do you call it? Do you call it a church split? Do you call it difficulties? What I call it is God's supernatural intervention. Because it was horrible, and it was painful, and it was difficult, and it took a toll. 
on me, my family, on the leaders here, the deacons. Took a toll on everyone that was here. Everyone that was a part of it. But what came from that was a totally new church. What came from that period, God's supernatural intervention, was the ability to get from there to here. Now, on a side note, just to show you how God has a sense of humor, all of those pastor friends that I reached out to when I was trying to run, for the next year and a half, really two years, it seemed like during some of the darkest days that I was going through in our church, I would get a call from a church looking for a pastor. Twelve churches in two years. And every time the Holy Spirit would whisper, you still want to run? Still want to run? But you see, I learned that the grass is not always greener. Sometimes it's just a matter of watering your own grass and maybe picking some weeds. So why did I tell you all that? Why is that the bulk of my message this morning? Because first of all, this is us. It's who we are. It's where we've been. It's what we've come through. And even those bad times, even those difficulties, even those struggles will continue to shape us and help us learn as we move forward. It's very important. What I've told you, I'm not going to preach about it or talk about it. This was it. Because I believe we can learn from that. And we can take what the world meant for evil and turn to good as we move forward. And secondly, because as I was preparing for this series, This Is Us, back in December and January, God brought me back to Nehemiah. Not to preach a series from Nehemiah, but to look at a couple of verses. Because I believe that in the book of Nehemiah, we can find answers. Because it was in this book that allowed us to go from where we were to where we are. In this book, I believe we've got answers to take us from where we are to where we need to be. And so for the next two weeks, I'm going to be looking at this book. We're going to be looking at some things to discover how we can get to there from here. But I also believe there's some answers for you personally. I believe there's some truth in this that will help you in your individual life. Those of you that are struggling, those of you who are ready to give up, those of you who might have already given up, those of you who have walked away from God's dream for your life, that I believe in this book, you're going to find some pathways and some answers to help you move from where you are to where God is calling you to be. Maybe in your family, maybe in your job, maybe in your career, maybe in your retirement, maybe with your resources. But I believe as we trust God from this book, He's going to reveal it to us. I told you I loved the passage I read earlier. Nehemiah had already gotten his vision. He shows up at Jerusalem. Nobody knew him. He gathers a crowd and instantly, they'd already been there 70 years. Hadn't worried about building a wall. Hadn't even really worried about building the temple. Some have been there over 100 years. Went back with Zerubbabel. But 70 years at least, they had been moving back to Jerusalem from their time and, and, and being captured back to their homeland, back to their pride and joy, and they'd done nothing. And here comes this guy that nobody knows and says, God gave me a dream. But he didn't emphasize God gave me a dream. He said, God gave us a dream. God gave us a vision. And he says, who's willing to go? And I love it that in, in unison, they, without question, they didn't hold a vote. They didn't go and discuss. They didn't have committees. Without question, they just said, let's build. For 70 years, they've been waiting for someone to stand up and say, let's build. I wonder what circumstances and situation in your life is just waiting for somebody to believe that God is telling them to do something and to trust Him. I wonder in your marriage if it's just a matter of you not just knowing what's right, 
but doing what's right. Just saying it. In your workplace, in, in the mountains that you're facing, in the roadblocks you're facing. It's beyond just knowing the truth and stepping up. Because all it took was Nehemiah. Now, that wasn't the end of the story because he faced opposition. That's why I read the 19 and 20. Because three of the people that were supposed to be friends were some of the three worst that tried to discourage them. Now, as for that dream I had 11 years ago for this church, I think we're right in the middle of it. I think we're right there. We're not perfect, especially me. But I think we've developed in this church a true faith community. I believe we have gotten to a place where people of different ages and races and backgrounds can come together and not just feel friendship, but can be family, can be a part of a community. And I also believe that every time we are together, I sense it, I don't know if you sense it, but every time that we are together, whether it's a small group fellowship, a worship time, a Sunday school class, a food gathering, that you can sense the presence and the power of God. Not just talking about it. People come to our church and I talk with visitors afterwards and say, I don't know how to explain it. There's just something there. There's something different. Something I hadn't experienced. I say, that's, that's not always been the case. I can't tell you why, but somehow we got from there to here. But it's not the end. I believe we are at a place where God wants to expand that vision. It's time for us to dream new and bigger Spirit-led dreams for our future. And I believe that part of that process will come from the words of Nehemiah. There's some of you this morning, you're struggling. Struggling with where you are, you look out and you can't imagine how you'll ever get there. Listen, I've been there more than one occasion. It's easier to quit than it is to go on. It's easier to give up than it is to dig in. It's easier to make excuses than seek God's truth. But I want to tell you this morning, there's nowhere you can run. There's nowhere you can hide. God's given you a dream. And the important thing to understand is your dream will not just affect you. It'll affect everyone around you. See, if Nehemiah wouldn't have stood up and said, let's build, I wonder how long it would have taken for the wall to get built. And if you as a husband or you as a mother is not willing to stand up and say, this marriage is a priority, my kids are a priority. If you as a person, employed, worker, teacher, realtor, coach, student, businessman, businesswoman, is not willing to say, things are going to be different. I'm going to begin to trust God for my finances, for my decision-making, for my business. Then who knows who else might miss out on the blessing. If you're struggling this morning, if you're looking at a mountain, roadblock, flooded river, Isaiah gives you some encouragement. Isaiah 43 says this in verse 16. For this is what the Lord says, He who made a way through the sea and a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and there they lay never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. That's him adding his credentials. This is who's talking to you. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not see it? For I am making a way in the desert. I am making a stream in the wasteland. The Message Bible says, I am making a way where there seems to be no way. I want to tell you this morning, I want to promise you this morning, God's not concerned with the how. He'll take care of the how. The question is who and when. Are you following God's dream for you? Are you trusting Him? Are you walking it out? Are you willing to follow 
wherever he leads. Let's pray.